church, I really love you. I, it's fun to be here. Thanks for letting me. I'm going to sit down if you don't mind. I have this uh, surgery on my eye, and I can only see with one eye while this is covered, and I'm real unstable. I can't. I don't have. I don't have any depth perception, so I have to have help up and downstairs. I'm not old. Just want to make sure you understand that. I'm 69, going on 40. Hollywood says 40 is the new 20. I'm 19, according to Common Core Math. I like Common Core Math. You can just make anything you want. Cat is K-A-T. That's Common Core Spelling. Anyway, uh, I grew up in church. This atmosphere this uh, and the joy of being together with your Christian. Isn't it good to go to church? And, and It's kind of like getting a bath at the end of the week. You get to wash off the world. Some of you work in places that are so vulgar and filthy and the language of the people around you. You come to church, isn't it refreshing to hear the name of Jesus spoken with love instead of as a curse word? Isn't it amazing what the church brings into our lives? Thank God for the church. I grew up in it. My, as I said earlier, my dad and mom were very much in ministry. And, and my mom was my, she was my hero. My dad was my hero. I didn't know who John Wayne was until I was 21. My wife told me about him. I liked him so much I accepted him into my heart. <laughs> He didn't bleed for me. There's not one football player today bled for me. There's not one slam dunk ever done in a hoop that was done for me. These guys aren't my heroes. I don't care if they can jump up and step through the hoop. I don't care. I have a different set of values when it comes to the word hero. I want it to be somebody that cared enough about me to make a difference in my life. That's the people that I call heroes. And they're not paid $40 million or $100 million a year. Thank God for people who put others first. Say others. That's the most important word that should be in your life. A man named General Booth, founder of the, of the Salvation Army, on his deathbed, one of the greatest charities in all of history. And I don't even know the people there. It's, they're just one of the greatest charities in history. They're fully open and accountable and always doing good. And the, the founder was a man named General Booth. And the last word he spoke went out in telegram worldwide to all of the outposts of the Salvation Army. You know what it was? Others. And he died. I don't know what's going to be on my tomb. I have no idea. Maybe Jesus will come. I won't have a tomb. Jesus only borrowed a tomb. He rented it, rented tombs, let him rent one. He didn't need it for three days. Don't buy a tomb if you're going to use it for three days. Rent it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I think I'll rent mine. But the point is, what will be your legacy? What are they going to remember about you when they all go down to the wake and they see your little body laid out there all dead? What are they going to think about you? What are they going to say about you? It was brought to my mind this week as a lady that my mother mentored one of the finest women I ever knew in my life passed away this week. And uh, I went to the wake, not before last. I couldn't, last night, uh, yesterday was a funeral, but we had to be here and I couldn't go to the funeral. So I went to the wake and I could barely get in that funeral home because all the people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to say goodbye to a precious woman named Lily, Lily Pierce. And I'm going to tell you, it spoke to me. Because she never put herself first. She always put others first. It was all about others. 
She gave $75,000 that she raised for helping us to help our wounded guys. I say wounded warriors, please don't associate me with Wounded Warrior Project. Everybody hear that? Do not associate me with that group. I have nothing to do with them, ever. Never took their money, do not take their money, will not take their money. I have nothing to do with them. Does everybody hear me say amen? amen? Good. Now that's settled. I won't say anything else there. Just don't associate me with them. But we have our wounded warriors. That's what they are. And I'm so proud of them, but people help me help them. And I guess one of the reasons people ask why I do what I do is because I am one. I didn't get hurt with an explosion of cocaine in my face, you know. I worry about cocaine addicts during the winter in Colorado, all that snow and they can't snort it. I said that up there the other day and they, people up there, of course, that's Colorado, you know, they're all high. And I'm not talking altitude. I'm talking attitude. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Huh? They, they did one thing right. They took away gun rights and gave them marijuana at the same time. Good. If you're going to have marijuana, don't have guns. Thank God. They did. That's the only thing they did right. But I work with these young men and women coming out of war because I know what it takes to be healed from war. There's some of you in this room right now, been downrange. You're struggling. Post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury from explosions, deafening noises and slamming around in what they call that buffalo or the Humvee or whatever. Life, life's pretty rough for you. I'm telling you, there's only one answer. And, and it sounds so simple and so oversimplified. You can't mean it, Dave. Yes, I do mean it. The answer to PTSD, the answer to TBI, the answer to physical brokenness is Jesus Christ. He is He's Rafi, the healer, Jehovah Rafi. He is the healer of our broken, our broken lives. He heals broken marriages. I mean, I go to war and I get hurt. I get a purple heart. You go to divorce court and get a broken heart, not a purple heart. And you get a broken washer and the spouse got the dryer. It worked. Life's not fair, is it? It's not fair. It's not fair. But Jesus makes up the difference. He counterbalances the weight of sin and brings you back to level where you ought to be. He's the healer of the broken. See, until you've been broken, you can't be used of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 talks about that we are an earthen vessel, but there's a treasure in the earthen vessel. And it is... It is a highly valuable treasure that's not of men, but it's of God. But we're earthen vessels. What comes to your mind when I say earthen? Dirt. Dirt. We're made of dirt. I love the story of the atheist arguing with God and said, oh, I can make man too. And God said, you can? Yes, I can make a man. And God said, well... Why don't you make one? So he knelt down and started scooping up dirt. And God said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You have to get your own dirt. <laughs> Sometimes our arrogance only serves to prove our ignorance. Did you hear me? Arrogance proves ignorance. There's something about a broken vessel that's really beautiful. Isn't that strange? 
you might think, well, if it's never been broken, it's more beautiful. It doesn't have all those cracks and where it's been glued back together. But God can't use a vessel that's never been broken. It's like a horse. What good's a horse? No matter how beautiful. Runs free. Oh, live free. Da, 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 da. Whatever the song is. Well, great. Go live free. But you're, you're absolutely useless until you've been broken and harnessed and have a purpose in life. You're nothing but just beautiful. But what good is that if you can't be used? A horse that's never been broken is of no value, just a hay burner. But when that horse does not lose its beauty when it's broken, but then it becomes of great value in so many ways. You can't count them all. And until I'm broken, until you're broken, God can't use us. Well, I just want to be like Jesus. Well, then get ready because you're going to be broken. Well, Jesus was broken. What do you think he meant when he took the bread at the table at the Last Supper and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. God loves a broken and contrite spirit. Arrogance is proof of ignorance, ladies and gentlemen. So don't think that, oh, well, I'm a better singer than, you know, those girls up here singing. If they'd let me sing, I'd show them how it really ought to be done. Oh, yeah? Well, get up here and sing as beautiful as you want, but until you're broken, you're a waste of our time. Still love me? You may not ever invite me back after that one. <laughs> Confucius said, <laughs> and that's someone to quote in church. It's an old Chinese proverb, and it's accredited to Confucius. And he said it, and it's true whether we like the Chinese proverb or not. No vessel is truly empty until it is broken. You say, well, no, no, no. I, there's, a, there, there's a vase on my mother's mantle, and it's never been broken, but it's empty. Well, let's take a look. Oh, <laughs> there's a dead fly in there. Shake out the dead fly. Now it's empty. Oh, look twice. The wing of the dead fly is still stuck to the side of the wall of that in, inside. Well, wash it. Okay, now it's got the residue of soap. Well, dry it. Now it's got the residue of the drying towel. You can never get it empty, but when it's broken, there's no way to call it full. There's nothing in it when it's broken. Why? Because the walls have come down like Jericho. When there are no walls, when there's no containment, because until the vessel is broken, you're just full of yourself. And God can't use a vessel full of yourself. And until our self-righteousness is poured out and then we're put back together, strangely, we look more like Jesus after we're broken than we did before. I love this little story of the boy that made a, a little boy made a boat, put a sail on it and went down to the mighty Mississippi and set it in the river. And he floated that little boat and then a wind caught it and he reached, but he was too slow. And that little boat sailed out in the middle of the mighty Mississippi and there was no way he could ever get it back. And one day, days later, he was walking down the sidewalk with his mom and they passed the toy store and looked in and the window was his little boat. It was his boat, undeniably his. Why, his fingerprints are all over that boat. And he ran and he said, Mr. Mr., that's my boat. And the man said, no, son, this is my shop. That's my boat. I found it. It's my boat. The boy said, but I made it. And the man said, I'm sorry, son, but it's my boat. I found it. And he said, how much do you want for it? And the man said, I'll take $20 for the boat. And the little boy went and he worked and he worked and he sweated. And through blood, sweat, and tears of mowing yards and trimming trees, he came back and had $20. And he bought the little boat. And on the way out, 
The man that owned the shop heard the little boy say to the boat as he cradled it and walked out the door, little boat, you were mine once. Now you're mine twice. That's called being born again. We were his once. But if you want to be his twice, you must be broken to be of value. Lost and found is my favorite part of the story. There's so much in life we lose. But what do we find? A man is no fool, wrote a missionary. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Don't try to hold on to that you part. That, that you that's so beautiful in the mirror. Oh, aren't you gorgeous? You're just darling in that mirror. But God can't use you. He's not looking for beauty. He's looking for something that the world may not call beautiful. But it's what he died for. It's the real you. It's that you he paid the second price for. Until there's been a sacrifice, it's hard to put value on something. Until it's cost you, you don't know what it's worth, do you? Really, come on. Until it's cost you something. According to people today that are really in the know, behind the scenes, and I happen to know a lot of them. My work with our military gives me opportunity to ask questions of the most profound leaders in modern history, in all of history, leaders of modern war, great men, amazing men, Caesars of our day, and I have friendships among some of those powerful humans on this planet. I'm not saying that in arrogance. I'm telling you that I want you to know the quality of my resources is very, very high quality. And the resources I have have informed me that we're at the most difficult time since the Cuban Missile Crisis and maybe worse. For during that period of time, we lost, we lost JFK. We lost his brother, Robert F. Kennedy. We lost Martin Luther King Jr. We lost, we lost a nation almost. I mean, it was down to the wire. We lost our innocence, a war that was protested leaving Vietnam veterans feeling like they were nothing more than dogs to be spit on and kicked. We lost our conscience to a world of hippies that turned to drugs and said, take LSD and find God. Many of them did, and they found him as they bowed before him, and he condemned them to eternal darkness. I got to tell you something. We're in a serious day right now. And I'm going to be very frank with you. There's not a Democratic or Republican party can heal us. It's going to take the difference Jesus makes in an awakening spiritually in this country or we are forever lost as a country. It's going to take Jesus. So I, uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's a little difficult for some people to understand. I've been criticized for it, but good grief. I'm, you know, being popular is like being beautiful. I don't think I'm going to run for that office. So I'd rather be honest than popular. I'm going to say it. I hate war. I really do. I hate it. But I love freedom more than I hate war. So I am literally honest before God. I'm proud of my scars and stripes for my country, and I'm proud of the men and women I served with. I'm honored to be a Vietnam veteran. I want every military retiree in this room to know I'm honored to be part of your fraternity. God bless you. God bless you all that served and are serving.
And I've said that, and people come up and say, you'd do it again, wouldn't you? And I say, well, boy, that's interesting. I had the explosion hit me, and you ended up with a brain damage. <laughs> do it again. I didn't do it, want to do it the first time. That's why I joined the Navy, so I wouldn't get hurt serving in the Army. <laughs> I joined the Navy. I never was on a ship. To this day, I've never been aboard a Navy ship, except one that's dry docked, and it's there for a memorial. It's usually sitting in concrete. <laughs> I was in the Navy Special Forces. I was Special Warfare Command. They nicknamed us SWIC. And I was in the Brown Water Black Beret. And now we're called Special Boat Teams. And that day to this day, Brown Water Black Beret Special Boat Teams are assigned to and associated with and are not extracted from SEAL teams. We work together. Then to this day. They made movies about us. One was called Apocalypse Now. That was about my group. And the other was called uh, Acts of Valor. And it's the guys on the little boats that get these Navy SEALs and all these Rangers out of trouble when they're, they're in trouble, can't get out. That was our job, to get them out of trouble. And it cost me. And on the 26th of July in the year, I'm going to say it, there's teenagers here, I know what's going to happen. 1969, they think, ooh, right after the War of 1812. <laughs> well, it was after, but not right after. Come on, give me a break. On July 26, 1969, on a river called the Vam Cote, on the border with Cambodia in the jungle of Vietnam on a little man-made canal, I took an injury that would devastate me. I'd been injured on the 23rd of July, returned to the river three days later on the 26th and was hit the second time. The second time was devastating and permanent to the point that they said I was 100% permanent and totally disabled, not even counting mental. <laughs> they said that was 240% with that. <laughs> so I'm twice and a half not. The grenade exploded. A sniper put me in his crosshairs, shooting at my head, I guess, but he missed and hit my hand. And the grenade I was just a second from throwing exploded right here. Now, it could be that that bullet hitting that grenade prevented the bullet from going into my head and killing me. I would have been a beautiful corpse with only a small bullet hole in my head. But the grenade blew, and from my waist up, almost half my skin came off just like that. I went from 190 pounds to 160 pounds, 130 pounds. I lost 60 pounds of flesh instantly. And then I went on to lose more weight over a period of time to under 100 pounds in the uh, intensive care unit. They called it the ICU, and I didn't know what that meant until they gave me my robe and it didn't come together in the back. It's the ICU. <laughs> you got it. I saw me too. Very embarrassing. <laughs> I walked backwards everywhere I went. Gave a whole new meaning to the word, the draft. <laughs> Y'all are quick. A lot of places just sit there and look at me. I don't get it. I was there for one year and two months in that hospital. Thirteen of us in that room, they all died but me. And I wasn't supposed to live. It, we put us, they put us in there to die so we would not die in the general population, I call it, with everybody else who was supposed to live. They didn't want us to discourage them. So they put us in there where we could discourage each other to death. And I'm the only one that made it. And... I, I remember that first day when they let visitors come in. Uh, let me back up to that explosion first. 
when the grenade exploded, I jumped in the river. But the grenade, as I said, was a, it was phosphorus or chemical. And water won't extinguish it. It has to burn itself out. You military, no, I'm not exaggerating or lying. So if you think that's a, a, a lie, you just ask them what white phosphorus is. It, you can pull the pin, throw it in the river. It'll explode and burn underwater. Water will not extinguish it. Just glow white hot till it burns itself out. And when it exploded, it blew my face off, except for the patch I can cover with my left hand. And blew my hair off, blew my ear off. I looked down, I could see my heart beating. My face was on my boots. Skin dripping off my arms. My fingers were dangling by tendons, except for one finger. That's the only finger that works, but these don't work. Make a good mic stand. And a preaching finger, repent. See? Repent. So if, I, so if I said repent, they'd look at that and everybody'd laugh. Repent. So if you're going to be an evangelist, you need a preaching finger, a mic stand, and the anointing. And you'll be all right. So be an evangelist and play a guitar. The grenade blew and the damage was done. There's no way to unring that bell. Today I got my face back best they could still working on it they're going to do my mouth next try to re- restore that I uh, got my hair back I bought that <laughs> I did I bought it this guy in China wondering why he's bald and I'm not he's made there <laughs> I don't mind it it's just I hate chasing it across church parking lots on windy Sundays and I've done that a few times I had a dog bring it back once that was humiliating Hair goeth before a fall. <laughs> Stupid dog brought it to me. It was embarrassing. And it fell, my ears artificial. It fell off one night. I was preaching in Jamaica. I didn't know it fell off. I was preaching and it was like a wet band aid. I was sweating and it just peeled off. It's laying on my shoulder. I'm preaching and they're all out there. <gasps> I knew something was wrong. So <clears throat> I checked my fly. <laughs> it was okay. And I thought, what's wrong? I looked around. There's my ear laying on my shoulder. So I picked it up, dried the sweat, and stuck it back on. I thought, okay, that problem's over. It got worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. I could hear them out there saying, it's a miracle, man. It's a miracle. <laughs> I said, no, it's not. But I couldn't tell them that. They'd have thought I was a phony evangelist. They would have stoned me, you know. Pastor told me not to tell you I went to Jamaica and got stoned. He said, they may not catch that. <laughs> Let's all get stoned. <laughs> you know, I've never smoked a joint in my life. I've never smoked a joint, never snorted coke, never put a needle in my vein, never took a pill to get high. I can hallucinate on a half dosage of a St. Joseph's aspirin for children. <laughs> I've never done a drug. My brother-in-law gave me the only beer I ever... You could say I drank it, but I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't swallow it. it was so, I just spit it out and started dry heaving and gagging, hiding in the barn with him from my sister he married her we're hiding in the barn gives me a beer said drink it and make a man out of you I couldn't get it down I guess you could say I drank a beer but I didn't swallow I could be president I know something wrong with me I think I've had too much coffee today maybe that's it but anyway he gave me the beer and I couldn't drink it and uh I said, there's something dead in here, Herman. <laughs> he, looked, he said, you got to develop a taste for beer. 
So I, we were in the barn. I picked up an old cow patty. I did. I shoved it right in his face. Some of it got in his mouth. He spit. That's nasty. That tastes. I said, you got to develop a taste for cow patties, Herman. Eat it. It'll make a man out of you. So I never got, I don't know anything about alcohol. And he said, boy, what do you do for fun? No sex, no drugs, no booze. I look at my world today with sex, drugs, and alcohol, and I say, what do you do? HIV, STD, if it's got initials, run. <laughs> BVD, I don't know what all, DVD, if it, I, I worry about initials. They're afraid to talk about it. And you say, well, how dare you talk about it? Well, 25%, that's one out of four people in America have herpes complex two, a sexually transmitted disease. One out of four. 25% of America has it. So, I don't know, it's... It's kind of like leprosy. I, I just don't want it. So I made sure that I didn't do things that gave that to people. And I want, I'm saying that to a bunch of teenagers in this room because I want you to know the girl I married, when I was 16 years old, I fell in love with that girl. I married my junior high school sweetheart. I was 16 when I asked her to marry me. She was 13 when she slapped me. She said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me again, TMI. Too much information. I used the word body. That kid was not inclined as I was, typical boy possessed with the urge to merge. She was not. She said, you'll wait. I said, if she said, if you love me, you'll wait. I said, I'll pick you up at 10. I can wait. I knew what she meant. Are you ready? Grab a pew belt or seat belt, whatever you got, because I'm going to blow the teenagers out of this room. When we married, we were both virgin. Clap. Thank you. Now, I got to tell you the truth. There's some churches say, oh, no, don't talk like that in the house of God. Used to be the schools would say, oh, you can't talk like that. Now they're saying, talk like that. And the church is saying, shh, you might offend somebody. Frankly, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you wouldn't be offended because, because of the blood of Christ that cleanses from all sin. It doesn't matter what you've lost, whether it's your virginity or a $20 bill. God can restore when we allow him. And I'm going to tell you something. Give your life. If you've already thrown away your virginity, and that's as important to a young man as it is to a young woman, stop giving me this female side of stories. Well, it's her fault. Let me tell you something. There wasn't anything Adam did. He didn't walk into with both eyes wide open. At least he was tempted of the devil. He chose, well, it was the apple in the tree. It was not. It was the pear on the ground. <laughs> Did you get it? I'm laying foundation for something you're about to hear. I want you to understand. And you'll understand when I get to it. There's some things you pay the price for because the reward is greater than the temporary blessing you think or reward of gratification of the flesh. If you are willing to invest in a future, teenagers, rejoice in waiting. Because when the day comes that under the godly blessing of matrimony, you can have and enjoy the sexual activity God intended in procreation. I'm telling you, your life is yours to have. Wait a little bit longer. Wait. Just a little bit longer. That's why I went into preaching instead of singing. Now, here's why I told you all that. When I got to Vietnam, I found out my biggest enemy was not in the bushes shooting at me. 
It was in the barracks making fun of me because I was faithful to my wife. That's why I did not come home with STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. That's when I came back, she didn't get some unexpected gift from God knows what over there. It pays to be righteous. It pays. Wonderful dividends. And so Brenda and I were blessed with two children. And the doctors told me I'd never father children. Their chemicals are shot. Well, they weren't dead because they're my kids. They got plastic ears and everything. (laughs) So I was made for what I do. The job that I have today, out of my experiences, the reason that these young men give all the media when they come out to our ranches and they see the program we do with these warriors that come to me from active duty across America, they come from every installation to our program for healing. And it's so beautiful. They, the media will say, well, why are you here? What's, why are you here under the instruction of Mr. Reaver? You know what their answer? Unanimously every time, same thing. He knows how I feel. And he has a scar to prove it. And the thing that was to be my shame, and it used to embarrass me when I would take my children. They deserved to go to Disneyland, right? And then I have to stand in that line that goes back and forth and back and forth. And the same people looking at me say, ooh, every time I pass them in that stupid line. And they were uglier than me, never been burned. What up your face? What happened to your mother? You know you're ugly when you're born. The doctor slaps your mom. My kids never let it bother them. My wife never let it bother them. Let me put it this way. They never let me know if it bothered them. I have the most loyal family on the face of the earth. And I had three men try to take my wife away from me. One was my medic in the hospital. I wasn't even out of the hospital. He's trying to steal my beautiful wife. I pretended I was dying one night in intensive care unit. He came in to hear my mumbling. And when his ear was close enough to hear me mumble, I bit him. I did. I bit his ear and held on like a turtle, snap turtle. And through my clenched teeth in his bloody ear, I said, you touch her and I'll kill you. What am I going to do? Beat him to death with a rubber hose? He transferred off of that ward that night. He never came back again. Got rid of one. Then her college professor, I never saw him. I would have just punched him trying to take my wife. And then there was the insurance agent where my wife worked, tried to take my wife at Allstate Insurance. I got even with him. I buy State Farm. (laughs) I showed him. You got to fight for what you believe in. You got to stand for what you know is right. You get it? Do you get it? What am I talking about? I'm talking about believing in something enough to suffer for it. Jesus did not go to Calvary in a limousine to die by lethal injection. They crucified the Son of God. Hands up, palms out, and his wounded flesh, even seen in eternity through the eyes of the revelator, John, who said, and I saw a lamb as though he had been slain. How did he know? Because Jesus in eternity is the only person that will bear the scars of this walk on earth so that you and I will never forget we were worth dying for. Because if there's nothing worth dying for, 
there's nothing worth living for. If there's not something bigger than the sum total of Dave Reaver's parts, if there's not something greater than me, then we're all in trouble. But everyone's greater than me. I'm just glad I have the knowledge of Christ and Christ has the knowledge of me. If I do not confess Christ before men, Christ will not confess me before the Father. I know Jesus and I know him well. So I close by telling you, when that helicopter picked me up, it put me on the stretcher. It burned through. I fell through over my head. Like I said, it's one of those days nothing goes right. They put me in the helicopter and I, the, the shock wore off and I began to feel all the pain of being burned all the way to the bone, literally to the bone, burned right through muscle tissue and everything. I'm laying there rolled up in a wet blanket and I said, Mavic! And when I did, he almost jumped out of the helicopter, scared the guy. I thought, the pilot lost control. We're dropping. I'm thinking, Lord, we're going to crash and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> they got me to Saigon in Japan where I asked for a mirror. That was stupid. And they brought it and that was stupid. Held it over my face and with one eye I looked up and that's when I knew I just lost my high school sweetheart. I just lost my little wife. Married without children. Waiting until after the war so that if I died in that war, she would not be raising a child that was not going to be her husband's one day. She'd remarry. I knew that. And now I look in the mirror and I realize my first love, my first wife, it's over. So I decided to kill myself because the worst thing you'll ever lose is not your wife, it's not your bank account, not even your children. The worst thing you'll ever lose is your hope. And I lost hope that day. And I tried to take my life. I had no gun or knife, so I just, there was a tube hanging there. I pulled that tube out. I laid my head back and I waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it's the wrong tube. I pulled out lunch. You can die that way, but it's going to take a while. And if you smell a pizza, you're singing, plug it in, plug it in, because you don't want to die. I got chewed out by the doc and they sent me to America as I said to Brook Army Medical Center I'm the sole survivor I left the hospital a year and two months later suitcase in one hand sweetheart in the other 49 years later she's still my high school sweetheart my wife 49 years later what do you think of that? and she's here and she'll be back at that table when we have a full house like this she won't take up one of the seats she'll sit in the foyer but I want you to make, she may be in here. I can't see anything. Even with the lights up, I can't see. I can tell that's the end of the stage there, and I don't want to fall off. So I get that close, and that's it. And there, my staff are back there saying, stop. And you're probably saying, stop. It's, it's already afternoon. I got to quit. I got to tell you, in closing, it's always a joy to come to Georgia. I think Georgia is one of the great states of our nation. I love the South. I love you. I love this community, and I love your pastor and his wife. I, I love your music. I love everything because there's a common denominator, not a common denomination. The common denominator is Jesus Christ. That is our rallying point. That's what it's all about. And I'm going to say to you what I said in the first service, and I want it heard. And if I've already said it, because sometimes I get a little confused on when I said it and which service, but I'm going to say it again.
I only wish that ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, Fox News, and all the other bloggers in the world could all be in this service today. I want them to see that there's a fellowship in the family of God that does not include racism, race baiting, race talking. I want them to see there's a little bit of heaven on earth. And it's right here in this room where we as brothers and sisters found that common denominator. And we built friendships and relationships on the mutual respect of each other and love for Jesus Christ. You are a healing agent for a nation. Spread the good news. Amen. That means I love you in sign language. But my thumb got blown off. I speak sign language with a lisp. It means I love you. I really, really do. I have a little short video. It's only four minutes long. Can I show it to you real quick? It is about what I do. It's what I do in building the ranches where the warriors come. It's what I do when I go downrange into Afghanistan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, UAE, and other points that I don't talk about, wherever I'm sent to be with our warriors. You'll notice that I wear a different uniform in these pictures. Thank God to this point in church, I haven't had to wear, I haven't had to wear a bulletproof vest so far. This is a place of peace with the Prince of Peace. I want to stay that way, amen? You'll see where my heart is with our nation's youth. My average audience is 19 years old, and you'll see that in the young men and women I serve. Hope you enjoy the video, or at least I hope it touches you. Thank you.
Tower, good afternoon. Angel Flight Bravo 03. Gear down, five miles. We have a hero on board tonight. Angel Flight Bravo 02, you are number one for landing. Welcome home. There's one more angel flight to come, folks. The angel of the Lord shall sound the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. I come back to the original question. Is it well with your soul? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you that we have hope in life after life. We believe in you. And there are those in this room right now whose hearts are tender and ready You've cracked through some of the hardest crust of a heart could, that a heart could ever have. While they're tender to you, Lord, draw them into your fold. Draw them into your family. While your heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you to follow me in a prayer. If you know Christ, pray this prayer as a renewal of your vows like Brendan and I will at the end, middle of July next year. We're going to renew our vows. I ask you to renew your vows with Jesus. If you are not living a righteous life. You know it. No one has to tell you. You know you're not getting by with what you're doing. Get it right now. Get it right. Jesus gives, he's the God of second chances. Pray this prayer and let it be your vows. Let's pray it it together. Everybody out loud, say it with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. You died for me. The penalty of sin is death. I'm guilty. Jesus, you paid my penalty. You not only died for me, you rose again to live in me. This very moment in your house, I give you my vows. I'm a sinner. Save me, Jesus. Renew me. Restore me. Redeem me. Make me what I ought to be. So by faith now, I make this confession. By your blood sacrifice, my sins are washed away. I confess you as my Savior and Lord. And from this day forward, I will serve you for the rest of my life. So help me, God. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Some new names are being written down right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.